Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest who's demanding better care and isn't afraid to ask for it. AC, Akare, Molly, Arthur Snodgrass. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and in addition to this podcast, I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and the newly announced Diabetes Way. This episode is lengthy, so you might have to split it up into two different listings, <laughs> but it won't take long for you to understand why I kept the conversation going. And I promise you want to listen to the very end because we are all over the place and it is entertaining to say the least. <laughs> AC is honest, confident, and a well-spoken woman living with type 1 diabetes and is helping others find their voice. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, this episode was brought to you by Ultima Replenisher, an advanced balanced electrolyte drink that provides highly effective hydration with no junk, sugar, calories, or carbs. Oh, and in case you hadn't seen, they just launched a mocktail variety pack, which has been a ton of fun to sample with my friends, but they do have plenty of other flavors to choose from. To score a discount code, head on over to my affiliate page. Number two, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just click the donate link in the show notes. Number three, my affiliate and resources page feature reputable brands and services that make life with diabetes a more pleasant one. You can find all the deals at diabetesdailygrind.com. And finally, stay engaged, love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter, leave an iTunes review. God, I haven't had one in a while, people. I love those things. They always make me cry. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. I'm so excited to have my new friend, AC, somebody that I met because I saw her picture on Instagram or Facebook. And I was like, I need to know this woman. Like she's sporting her gear. She's gorgeous and all the things. So AC, welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. And I'm going to have her tell you her full name because it's a mouthful but in a positive way. Yes, it is. My name is AC Achere Molly Arthur Snodgrass. Just out of curiosity, so did you have two last names coming into a marriage, like combined or? It's really funny that you, that you, that you say that. I was so obsessed with keeping all of my names when I got married that I was like staunchly standing in the social security office. Like, I'm not leaving here unless I can have my fifth name. But I started <laughs> out with just four. So it was just all the way up to Arthur. And then I got married and added it's not grass to it. So it's not hyphenated. It's just added. Oh, okay. I like it. I like yeah. the individuality with that and that you're fighting for it. Oh, so. God, literally fought. Like it was dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I start every podcast and there's a little bit of feedback I can hear. Can you hear that at all? I don't. Okay. Well, let's keep going. And if this will stick this in there. Don't worry about that. If I hear it again, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Okay. It's weird. And anywho, and listeners just know that this is real life diabetes. And so if there's feedback, just know that there's probably going to be some Dexcom shit going in at some point and some pod stuff. So this is just how things roll. You'll just have to deal with it. (laughs) Okay. So where are you calling in from? And then I want to talk about your, because I ask everybody about your diagnosis. Yes. I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm calling in from Nashville, Tennessee. I was born here, moved around and came back. Okay. And I got to say, cause you're like the third person from Nashville that I've interviewed re- recently and it's just a weird coincidence. So apparently the Nashville area is rocking some solid T1Ds. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Like I don't know if it's in the water. I don't know if we just all moved here. I don't know, but I've bumped into just people like going into the stores and everything. And they're like, they see your, your device. They're like, Oh, you are you know, that type of thing. So it happens quite a bit here, probably more than any of the place that I've lived. It's interesting. That's the trip. Okay. So tell me about your diagnosis. I was diagnosed at six years old. I just turned six. 
So my birthday is coming up. My birthday is December 19th. And I was diagnosed in January. And I just found out maybe a month ago that I was diagnosed January 12th of 1989. So uh, we found some paperwork and I was like, oh, this is crazy. So I was diagnosed at six. I would say misdiagnosed initially. They were just like, oh, she's very underweight. She's tired. She doesn't want to eat. She just needs to eat. Just, you know, shove food in her mouth. She'll be all right. And my mother was like, something is going on. It's not just that. And so went to the doctor again and they diagnosed me. They were like, oh, we can smell her from a mile away. The classic scent that you give off when your body isn't processing glucose as it should. And I was diagnosed as type one. I think that's such a trip. And I've heard that before that people can smell it. And in other cultures in particular, they might not have the technology to be able to determine the your, your blood sugar at that time. I don't know that I've ever smelt that. Do you feel like you could smell it on somebody else? I have an extremely uncanny sense of smell. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can smell nearly everything. Like I can smell when a person's lungs are off. I can smell like when they exhale, I can smell their lungs. I can smell their liver. Like I can smell, and this is going to sound so crazy. I know, I know this sounds so crazy, but I can smell it. Like I know when something is off with a person, like on their insides, like I can smell it. Do you think you're a healer? I've been told that. I've been told that. But it's like, I didn't. And the thing is that it's a scent that I would like a, a person with liver issues. Like I had, I ended up having liver challenges in life. And I was like, I smell, fam- this is a familiar scent, but it's a smell of like when you're around alcoholics, their liver, that's what you're smelling, their liver, that scent. It's not just alcohol, it's their liver. And I was smelling that smell on me. I don't drink at all. And I was like, why do I smell like this? And I went to the doctor and they were like, oh, you have liver issues. And I was like, oh. So I smelled the organ before I knew that's what that was. That's a trip. And I believe it. I mean, and whether or not when you're listening, if you believe it or not, I think that all of us have our own, like how we connect with our bodies. And I will ask this with that being said, because I feel like I know more about my body than the average person because I have to keep such an eye on things. So do you feel like that your heightened sense? Most definitely. And it's like, it's almost like strep throat has a scent, right? So they're like, oh, something smells very strepish. I've heard doctors say that. So there, there is a scent with certain things specifically. You see what I'm saying? But it's like, I agree with you to say that I know when, when something is off with me because I can feel it, I can smell it. I know where my organs are in my body because something has like happened to an organ. So I'm like, oh, that's a, you know, people say that like they, they, they had gallbladder issues. They're like, oh, I know where my gallbladder would have been before they removed it. I know where my ovaries are. I know where my uterus is. I know where my heart right. is or my lungs are. Unfortunately, we know where our, our organs are in our bodies when they malfunction. You see what I'm saying? So with us, things can kind of happen. And so we're like, oh, that's where that is. And we think, you know, oh, this is where my liver is. When actuality is like someplace else, but in your mind, it's one place. But until it goes like sideways and you know exactly where it is. So, yeah, I think because we're so much in connection with ourselves, we kind of take in account like each thing every day. We kind of have to, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to start with when you were newly diagnosed at age six, what was the therapy that they put you on insulin therapy and whatnot? Oh Lord. It's coming up on 33 years ago. It was regular and NPH. Me too. Yeah. So it cloudy was the, and clear, cloudy and clear. Yeah, that's it. The, 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 that's a little, the little, the little milky one and the clear one. And they tell you to draw up the clear one first. So, you know, you haven't drawn up the milky one, you know, so you have to do the clear one first. So, you know, and then you draw up the did they tell you to do that? To do I that? don't remember that tip, but let me ask you this as somebody who's had it as well, longer than you have, but I was diagnosed in the eighties. I don't remember. I was, I was giving a shot in the morning before breakfast and a shot before dinner ish. Right. Uh-huh. And I knew that I had to eat three meals a day plus snacks. And I purposefully chose not to eat sugar. Cause I listened to what they said. Uh-huh. With that being said, I don't remember going to 
sleepovers with my insulin. Like, did I have it in a baggie? Did I have it in a special bag? Like I had two vials with me at all times. I never went to sleepovers. So I wasn't like away. Like I'm trying to think of like how I did as a child, how I was brought into the understanding of taking care of myself was, was intense. Like they, they made me inject myself before I left that I was six. So I had a fantastic nurse. Her name was Rose. Lord bless Rose. And she explained to me what I needed to do and the importance of me having control over my own self. And even if I had the assistance of family, that I still had the responsibility of taking care of myself. And so I learned how to add using a syringe. You know, you draw up, you know, two units of this, two more units of that is four. That's how I learned to kind of count, essentially. And so a lot of it was my siblings and my parent that would help me, but I still had to do it myself. And so I don't remember a time while I was away from family to where I had to like do it completely by myself, like a sleepover or anything like that. I didn't have to do it like that growing up. So you took the reins, you took the reins early on. Oh, I had to. And they, they were like, cause they gave scenarios to say like, what if she gets lost in the mall or something or something happens and she needs to do a particular thing. She needs to be able to do it herself. And I never really had to do it myself, but I knew how to. And again, Rose, nurse Rose, bless her. She allowed me to inject her before I injected myself. Oh, wow. Yes. And so we, we did it in stages. There was a leather sofa. I remember in the waiting room in the pediatric floor and it was a brown sofa and it was leather. And so I had to squeeze it, you know, they had to squeeze it and then you inject it and the whole thing. So I did it to the sofa and then I, there might've been an orange somewhere in there. Oh, I did an orange. I yeah. did an orange, but I, I, I somewhere, somebody did an orange, but I don't remember doing the orange myself as much as I remember the sofa. And she's like, now you're going to do it. She's like, it's not going to hurt. It's like, you're not going to see me cry. So it's, it's okay. And I'm like, okay. So I, I, I was freaked out because I'm, about to inject an adult, but I think it was like saline or something. I don't know what it was in it, but I injected her in her leg and she's like, see, look, I'm fine. So now let's do you. And I did it myself and, and I knew how to do it. And so the fact that she put herself into the teaching process is incredible. She was an amazing, amazing nurse. We're going to have to find her. Do you know if she's still around? I can't imagine. I don't know. I, I, her, her name was Rose. She was the pediatric endocrinology nurse at the University of Iowa. I only knew her first name and we kept, we kept in contact a little while after I left, but I, I'm not sure where she is. I hope she's still alive. But even if, if her family is out there, please know that your Rose was exceptional. <laughs> and I remember her from 33 years ago. She was exceptional. She made me very empowered and didn't make me feel broken or sick or ill or anything like that. She's like, you got this, you can do it. And she was great. Okay. You need to ask her mom if we can find the last name. Like I'm going to look this woman up and we're going to bring her on the yes. podcast because I, I think that's yeah. the first time I've ever heard that an educator had them, had you shoot them up first. Yes. yes I mean, yes, that's, that's pretty it's, incredible. It's unreal. And I remember her more than the doctors. So I don't remember any of my doctors, but Rose stood out to me. She was just very, you got this. And they did a great job. Uh, apparently the University of Iowa is known for being uh, on the forefront of type one diabetes or something along those lines. And so they were ahead of the game with like um, carb counting and things like that. Because when I was coming up, I did carb counting, but like people around me were doing like the exchanges. exchanges like the yeah. yeah, I don't know anything about that. I, did, I went straight to carbs and I've been using the same technique since... I was six. And so I can only imagine how difficult it was because at the time also they didn't have nutritional values on the side of, it was an illegal requirement. So you had to guess what the carbs were and you had to really get into that whole, it was a lot to do, but it was, I was taught how to do it. And so it wasn't the craziest thing for me to have to figure out even now I've been doing it for a long time. Well, and I love that. And like, I didn't start carb counting until 2002 or 2003 when I switched from cloudy and clear 
to, gosh, what did I, Novolog and I think Lantis at the time. And I remember just being so pissed because I was like, I went from two shots to possibly four or five. And I'm like, this is, and what? And I now I've got to count carbs. Like you could add something else to this list. What the Ever talk about it. Talk about it, Ever. I was so heated because I switched over from, as you say, cloudy and clear. I switched over probably 2002. I think it was my sophomore year in college. And I remember being like, I've got to take a thousand shots now. I didn't have to do that before. And I'd count, I, I carb counted before. I did three meals and it was 30 carbs per meal and it was 15 per snack. So, you know, and I had to eat at a certain time, a certain amount, and it, you just got used to it. It wasn't a problem. But then I, they were like, oh, but you get to eat whatever you want and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I've got to take so many extra shots that it doesn't really benefit me. Like, I don't, I don't care about the, the time. I care about, you know, I don't care even about the amount I want to only take two shots. And they were like, nope, five now, you know? And it was just like, ah! So I understand the frustration. It's like, this is, this is ridiculous. Okay. Now moving on with that, because I've stayed on MDI therapy. I've never even tapped into a pump. You started with, let's talk about your first pump experience. I actually, my sister was diagnosed at 19 and she went from shots from pins that I didn't like the pins. And she went from pins to the pump. And she had a Medtronic. I said, she's like, get on the pump, get on the pump, get on the pump. It's great, it's great, it's great. And I'm like, I don't want anything hanging off of me. Like, I don't want, like, I don't want anything hanging off of me. I'm a very free-balling kind of chick. I don't want anything hanging off of me. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I ended up getting the Medtronic and nothing against Medtronic at all, but I hated it. And I didn't understand it. And I wasn't really figuring things out. And I ended up giving myself too much or something happened. And my blood sugar dropped dramatically in my sleep. My mother had to call an ambulance. And we never found it. So they, they disconnected me from it. And I still don't know where it is. That we never found it. So I don't know if they like stole it. We have no idea. Well, we never found it. And so it was like all this drama. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just not built for the pumps. So I, that was 15 or so years ago. I'm like, all right, let's see what else is out there. Let's try this again. And I saw the Omnipod and it's not something that's hanging off you, but it's still on you. So I had gotten on the CGM first and I'm like, okay, this is something that's on me. It's not driving me up the wall. Let's see what else is going on out there. Okay, fine. And I got the Omnipod and I got used to it and I really like it and I love it. I absolutely love it. So I went, I started out with Medtronic and ended up with Omnipod and I've been on Omnipod now for, I think about four or so years, four years or so. So yeah, but I, I don't mind injections because you inject yourself, you roll out, you're done and it's fine. So I'm not anti-shot by any stretch, but if I had to choose between the two, I do like the pod. I do a lot. Okay. So when you, how old were you when you did the Medtronic pump? I'm 30. I'm going to be 39 in a couple of days. That was about 15 years ago. Okay. So yeah. So that's when I started the, the, the pump in, but I was doing shots religiously up until that point. Well, and I, one of the things when we spoke originally that I loved about our, our that conversation was the fact that you said you put your pump, you clipped it in your hair. Yes, Lord. The, 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 the annoying thing about, again, Medtronic, if y'all listen, I love y'all. Y'all all trying to save lives. So I have no beef with you. But that whole tethering system was driving me bananas. And I would I wore braids constantly. And so whenever I had braids, I would clip. I clipped the pump to my hair because I walk, I'm naked. I'm always naked. So I have to literally put on clothes for this, <laughs> this interview, but I don't wear clothes. And so I'm like having to put the pump in my hair because it's the only thing that I can attach to. And I'm like, this is not the life I'm trying to live. I, I just, I didn't like it. It was ridiculous. Or some people try like garter belts and all this kind of different stuff. And I'm like, but that's something on me. I don't want. It's another thing. Another thing. You know, I have enough things. So I, I did not like it, but I would have this like bobbing in my hair and they're like, what is that? And I'm like running it up. 
it was crazy. <laughs> if you have a picture of you with a pump in your hair, I need a photo. You know what? I wonder. Because I was so used to it being up there. But you know, if I had a pump in my hair, I'd probably be naked. So I told no, no picture. <laughs> well, I'd be curious. You would hook it to your bra, you know, or something right. like that. I had on clothes, you know, but it would be in my hair otherwise. And if anybody's listening that you have clipped your pump to your hair yes. or have a, another area that's unconventional, please let us know because I'm so fascinated by this. Again, somebody I've never wanted to be attached to anything, a tube. Yes. Getting me on a CGM was an active God, literally. Oh, Congress, most definitely. Same here. I, I was like, no, I mean, because like I say, after an injection and that's it, like I'm done. But of course, the longer you're dealing with it, you know, you can have the unaware and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. And so CGMs really do help, but then it's always going off and it's, it's a lot. It's just, it's a lot, but I do understand not wanting anything to touch you or be on you. But I do also understand wanting that level of control to know what's going on without having to check your glucose every hour. You know, yeah, absolutely. And so one of the other things I really liked about our original conversation was the fact about how you, you talked about your mother and how she really taught you at an early age, how to be an advocate for your own healthcare. So let's hear a little bit about your mom. Oh my gosh. I mean, where do I even start? The ironic thing that I want to say about my mom is that she is terrified of needles. And so she always tells this story. She's like, when you were in the hospital and they told me that I was going to have to give you injections, she's like, I had this stark white, like flash of gray hair that I'd never had before. And it's true. There are before pictures and there's after pictures. And she just had like this, this storm, you know, the, the, the characters, she had like this, just white stripe in her hair. And she was just like, I can't do this. And I'm like, ma'am, <laughs> if you don't figure out how to do this, we cannot send your child home with you. Like you have to do this. And so I love, I love that she says that because it just shows how you can get over your fears to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And whether that fear is standing up for yourself or giving an injection, whatever it takes, you have to do what you have to do to make sure that you're okay. And so while I was in the hospital, she would talk to me about the importance of speaking up and and telling them that they needed to explain things where I would understand it. If I wasn't willing to do whatever they were saying, have them offer alternatives to me. She would always just make me very aware of my rights as a patient, as a person, as a young lady, all those things. And it helped me throughout the entire process of this type one journey. And, and it's incredible. And I've come across so many type ones that don't they're like, oh, I hate going to my endocrinologist or they're so mean or they don't ever listen to me. And I'm like, go to someone else demand better care. And they're right. just like, what? Like, what do you mean? It's yeah. like, you have that right. But that was really, she really infused that into me at a very young age. And other things I've heard people say, you know, they're having hard times with, you know, eating sweets and candies and things. We're raised in a natural household. So we ate like, you know, roots and berries and such and such. <laughs> and so if things weren't, it wasn't such a huge stark change for us because we, we were raised eating, you know, I, I love alfalfa sprouts, you know what I'm saying? So I had that kind of palate and then I was diagnosed. So it wasn't like, oh God, I can't have chocolate cake. That wasn't a part of my mouth, my mouth preference, you know? So she helped me to count carbs. She helped me to have things that were pleasurable that others wouldn't even have an understanding to have access to it, like sweetening things in a natural way. Now it's the norm. But at that time, it wasn't something that you really had access to. Even NutraSweet, as it was at the time, was a newfangled thing. I know, right? It was a newfangled thing. Like, ooh, you know, it was a thing because either you, you didn't have you didn't have access to anything that was sweet. And so but she was like, no, let's do a natural sweetener, which will, if fructose is better than sucrose. And she had an understanding of that. So you can sweeten things in a natural way. And one thing that I loved is that when I was first diagnosed, I didn't have an appetite. I just didn't want to eat at all. And they were just saying that they thought it was because I was self-regulating because eating things was making my blood sugar go up. And so I didn't want to eat anything because mm -hmm. I felt bad after eating. And so I went through a phase of just not 
wanting to eat anything. And they were like, we got to give her a feeding tube unless she eats. And she's like, I got it. Don't worry about it. My mother was like, I'm going to handle it. I got it. And so she would blend everything up. And we called it blender drinks, but now everybody calls it smoothies. But she would put bananas, a little bit of orange juice, yogurt, and raw oatmeal and mix it together in a blender. And I would drink that. And I would drink, but I wasn't really wanting to eat. And I felt fine afterwards. And she would, you know, give me my proper carb ratio and everything was fine. And it was wonderful. But she would put it in this little container that was shaped like a ice cream sundae. Yeah. And so it had like a little, like a, it had like a little cherry on top and like fake ice cream and the handle was a little ice cream cone. And so I'm like walking around with it out in the world. Kids are like, oh, that's so cool, you know, to make it exciting and cool. But I'm like drinking blended up whatever your meal, so, you know, yeah, a meal. And so she always made things more fun and more enjoyable and inclusive. And, you know, school parties, she would bring things that all the kids could have that were sugar free that they wouldn't know that was even sugar free because everybody enjoyed it. So when it was my turn to bring the treat, it was something that you can introduce that type of eating to other people. So she always made it very inclusive, very it's OK. Like you're, you're, you're going to be okay. And so I always felt like I'm going to be okay. She just did an exceptional job of giving me that, the power to handle all of this. And another very important thing, and I've said this to you, I don't even know, you might want to edit this out, but it's true. <laughs> know me. I got to say what it is. She also, and I didn't know that this was her intent, but she also told me as I got older that it was important that I, I did not feel like my body was betraying me. Yeah. And that stuck with me because the older I get and the more I'm on the internet looking at things and I'm seeing so many young girls, especially that are feeling like they're not beautiful, that they're not sexy, that they're not appealing, right. that they're broken, that they're incomplete, that they're just lacking in all these ways because of a, of a lack of a hormone. It's like, you are okay. You're beautiful. You're worthy, all these things, but they didn't have a my mama in their lives to tell them these things at a young age before it really mattered. And so she's like, I wanted you to always feel as if your body was perfect, that your body was beautiful, that you're beautiful, that you're intelligent, that you're capable. And I feel that way by myself and not like in a, in a conceited way, but everyone should feel as if they're beautiful and complete. And so she introduced me to my muse to this day, Josephine Baker, who I love, who was beautiful and goofy and fun and an artist and didn't wear clothes, but made art out of it, <laughs> which I, you know, which I loved as a kid. Cause I'm like, Oh, she, she gets me this particular character. And she was powerful. And she was intelligent. And she's like, I want you to feel comfortable with your body because things are going to happen. And I don't want you to lose value for the body that you have. And, and that's important for all young, young people, all people, period. Because when you lose value for your body, then you give your body away and it, because it's not valuable to you. And that's dangerous. So I'm so grateful that she kind of infused that into my brain because that's, that's words to live by to this day. And she's well, alive. I'm talking to her in past tense. She's alive and well. So I shouldn't say like back. She's here. She's now. Like she's alive. <laughs> Well, and one of the things you shared too, is that you, and I, I, we can edit this out if you don't want to say, but like you have, you've taken photos of yourself tastefully oh, over the, yes, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which I love when you talk about loving your body and you, these are nude photos yes, and yes. that you wanted to remember what your body looked like through different parts of your life. Right. Yes, yes, yes. So I forgot what I told you. So I'm sitting here like, how did you know this? I told you. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Dude, you don't have to edit any of this out because it's the, it's the complete truth. And I actually posted this conversation that I had with my mother on Facebook just as a, as a memory. But we had an assignment at my school. Mr. Boys was my second grade teacher. We had an assignment. And the assignment was, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we were supposed to put it on the wall. And we were going to read, you know, what everybody wanted to be when they grew up and things like that to learn about each other and everything. And so I went home. And I'm like, Ma, I've got this project. You have to help me with this. She's like, okay, fine. So she's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I don't know. I want to be an ice skater. I want to be a singer. 
I can't ice skate and I can't sing, but that's what I wanted to be. And she's like, okay, I want to be an ice skater. Well, let's draw this picture of snow and ice. I'm like, ooh, that sounds like it's cold. I don't like the cold. So she's like, okay. I was like, I want to, I want to, can I dance and be warm? And she's like, well, oh yeah, you can dance and be warm. That's off the ice though. And I'm like, okay, I want to do that. And I'm like, but I don't like clothes. So can I dance and can I be warm? And can I like not wear clothes? I want to be like nothing on warm dancer. Like, what is that? And she's like, well, sweetheart, that's an exotic dancer. And I'm like, okay, how do you spell that? What do I do? And she's like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Let's not put that on a piece of paper yet. Let me explain to you. And so she talked to me and that's what she introduced Josephine Baker to me. And that's how I was first introduced to who she was and how much I, I was like, oh yes, this is my life. I loved it. But she didn't look at me like, no, you can't do that. You can't be naked and you know, whatever. That's nasty. That's not my mother. My mother is, yes, there's an artist that also enjoys walking around and living their life in their bodies and in their skin. And they made art that's the person and so I love her to this day so fast forward when I got around 20 21 years old I was like well I've been dealing with type one for this these many years life happens you know what if I have children or what if I get older and just life changes your body I want pictures of myself professionally of what I look like like completely nude and so I told a good friend of mine and she was like oh you know she at the time she was dating this artist and she's like oh I know a guy who will probably do this for you. And I'm like, okay, great. So I met him, Charles A. Smith. Thank you, Charles. He's amazing. And I was like, this is what I want to do. He's like, let's do it. And he's an incredible photographer. And I just took new pictures of myself. And it's just, this is what I look like. This is me. And everybody has literally on earth has a body and this is mine. And it really introduced me into the beauty of just the human form and just being comfortable with it. Cause I've always been comfortable, but I wanted to hold on to the memory of that because we also are like, oh gosh, I had this pot belly or oh gosh, I had this, oh gosh, I had that. And you're going to look back at those pictures and be like, I was perfect. What are you talking about? And so I wanted to remember how I felt about myself and see if I could maintain how I feel about myself. Even now, it was just the whole thing that went, that a lot that went into it, but I've maintained just wanting to always promote comfort in your body because this is the body that we have. And as my mother would say, you don't have a spare in the closet, so take care of it. So make sure that you're doing what you can to be healthy mentally and physically. And however you are made, you are beautiful. You're perfect. You were fashioned in his likeness. And so you are perfect and there's, there's nothing wrong with you. So that's how that all started. It started out with me wanting to be a naked, warm dancer and be just like Josephine Baker. And now today I am whatever you call this. <laughs> I think that's such a positive message. I'm going to say two things to that one. And I say to my mom right now, should she listen to this? I apologize for outing myself, but in this first or second grade, same thing. They ask you what you wanted to be and you had to write it down, whatever. Well, my paper comes home and I should not admit this. I put, I wanted to be a hooker. And my mom was like, what is what? And she's like, what is a hooker? And I'm like, maybe that's when we were introduced to HBO. I don't know, but I wanted to be a hooker. I still have that piece of paper. Can I tell you something? We must have been separated at birth because I told my mother I wanted to be an escort because I thought, I kid you not, mama, when you see this, message it. Like, like t tell the story. I told her I wanted to be an escort because I thought an escort just went to parties with people. Right. Like, that's all, that's, I thought you, I escorted you. And she's like, well, that's not really what it is. But if you want to go to parties and accompany people, that's a great goal. But that's not really what that is. It was never like, oh, it was more so like, well, you know what I mean? But I said, I want, I, I wanted to be an escort. I want to wear pretty clothes and go to parties with people who didn't have people to go with. That's what I wanted oh, to be. Well, and that's, a, I think that's a very reasonable. I mean, you just wanted to entertain. You wanted to have fun. 
I'll have a good time. Wrong with that. And I will say on a second note, like too, and one of the things I think your mom should have her own website and all kinds of things for positive body messages. And I say that because I was with a bunch of girlfriends from high school recently, all of which have children. I do not have children and you do not have children. Correct. Child free. Woo-hoo. Child free. Woo-hoo, <laughs> right. But the, you know how they talk about themselves influences how their daughters and sons talk about them, them, you know, how they see their bodies and self-value. And so we had a really deep discussion recently about shaming body shaming and what is perfect or I could, and it long story short, I send them all a message afterwards. I just seen something, I think on social media, but it was like, be in the picture. Your kids are not going to remember if you have on lipstick. Yes, It's just little things like that. So kudos to your mom. And what's your mom's name? My mother's name is Chris Ann Rogers Arthur. Dr. Chris Ann Rogers Arthur. She's amazing. Well, I, I look forward to meeting. Does she live in town with you? No, she is in Jackson, Mississippi. Well, I will meet your mother hopefully as well because yes, I think I love her. And 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 that's the thing that I think there's. It's so important to see yourself as complete. Yeah. Or as a work in progress. And as you're working in within that progress, you're not broken. And I wish I could just say that to every type one, because it seems like, again, I didn't, I guess I was living in a bubble of ignorance because I didn't know to the degree that people were really struggling with their self image until I really started joining different Facebook groups and things like that and getting out there. And people are just are having a hard time with themselves. And especially even in high school and in college and things. And I'm like, I was partying with my friends and I was having a good time. And I had to take a moment to do this and take a moment to do that. But I'm in the thick of it, like everybody else. What is it that people don't feel like they have the right, you know, to engage in joys? I don't yeah. I don't know what that disconnect is. And and I don't know. But I, I want to find a way to help people through that. But I'm not sure how to, how to do that. But I, well, I, I think the fact that you can even have this conversation, we can have this conversation is the first step in that. And I will say now that we're talking about social media and one of the other reasons I really fell in love with you and your profile was that you started a private Facebook group. Yes. Is it for women Black women, or is it? It's for Black people. It's it's called the Carb Cookout. Um, I love that. And yes, and so it's it's a it's a group specifically for Black people within the diaspora, so Black people around the world who are Type One. And I was noticing, and I'm sure many people that are watching this would agree. If you Google now and you put in Type One, you're going to see pictures of usually young white boys. You see little white boys for whatever reason, and that's all I saw. When I was growing up, I didn't see my face. I didn't see myself. I was obsessed with uh, Mary Tyler Moore when I found out she was type one. Right. But again, I, I, love, she, I cried like a baby when she passed. And she passed at a, at a ripe old age, but I still was like in the bed. Um, I love that woman. And so I wanted a place for us to kind of come together because we speak differently. We move differently. We eat different foods. We do things in a different kind of way as a culture. And I wanted a group where we could all kind of come together and have a conversation about what works best for us within our culture. And I didn't see any other group on on Facebook that had that. So I saw groups for type twos or even gestational. I saw all these different things, but I didn't see it specifically for type one. And we're not often seen as people who have type one. So it was very important. If I don't see it, I have to make it. I, if somebody else doesn't want to do it, I have to do it. So that's what I did. And it's, it's growing and it's developing and I, I love it. It's great. Besides just the general chit chat with a private Facebook group, cause I have one for the happy hour and things like that. Are there specific things that you are topics that you're, you're chatting about? Like, what are the things that you want to bring up for the black community and what can I do to help? I mean, it's like one of those things because I want to make sure that I understand what's going on. So as an advocate that I can help push that from a different perspective. Most so, definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. And first of all, thank you for asking that question. And one of the most important things that, and I can use it myself as an example, is that when I was going to the doctor as a child, they didn't think of type one. 
because I didn't fit the category of what a person would look like or be if they were a type one. When in actuality, as we know, type one affects every age, color, creed, anybody, the the spectrum and and the rainbow. And so I nearly could have died if I wasn't diagnosed properly. And so my concern is that because there are these misconceptions or these assumptions, it's difficult to get the care that you deserve. And, and it's well known and many studies have been created around the fact that unfortunately African-Americans in this country, African-Americans are not taken care of within the medical system as or in, the, in, the, in, the, in the system as we should. And so we go to the doctor, they're not giving us pain meds. If we're going in there with a, a, a complaint, they kind of dismiss us. It's something that happens that there have a lot of studies about around, but I want to focus specifically on type one. If a person's in DKA and they're like, oh no, you're just drug searching or you're just making things up. This happens quite a bit. And it's frustrating to me because I know how to traverse the medical bigotry, if you will, just to be blunt about it. I know how to traverse it in such a way, but I've been doing this since I've been six years old. But if you're newly diagnosed, then you might be like, well, maybe I am doing too much. or Maybe I'm not doing it right. Or maybe I'm doing whatever the case. And you don't speak up for yourself. But no, speak up for yourself and, and talk to the doctor about it. I've spoken to my doctor and I've said, look, when I've gone to the doctors, I'm a type one. I'm an African-American woman. Statistics have shown that you're going to dismiss me. I don't want this to happen. Wow. So let me know. Yeah. Let me know if you're going to dismiss me so I can find someone else because I'm going to have to be heard. I'm just letting you know. So when I go into the, and I've had to go to the emergency room, I said the same thing. It's like, I don't want to have to be a statistic. I don't want to make you a statistic. So I'm in here for this reason. And so this is, this is the care that I need. This is, this is, this is what it is. Da, da, da. But what happens also is that if you're not insured many times, you don't have a primary care physician. And I know that I have a primary care physician that knows I don't play games. And so I can have them call my primary care physician or my endocrinologist because I'm insured and they can speak on my behalf. If I'm going into the emergency room with no medical history, other than diagnosis, then they're not, they're going to look at my dark face and be like, that's what happens, you know? And so I'm talking to people and talking to them in the emergency room, like, this is what you have to say, this you have to do and that type of thing. And it's unfortunate. And I have also been uninsured and the care that I received is, is you can't even compare the two. Like it's unreal. The dismissiveness, the disrespect, it's just, it's absolutely unreal. So my wants and my goal and my passion and my interest is to make sure that people in general, of course, are being treated fairly within the medical system, but most definitely people of color, even more specifically black people, because we're the least cared for. And as a person who's highly educated in their health, a person who's very in tune as we spoke about their health, a person who, all these things, it doesn't make a difference if you don't see me as a person who deserves the care that I deserve. So it's my want that people stand up for themselves and demand it and whistle blow if you have to and do whatever it takes because people aren't going to see you unless you make them see you. And then they might not even see you. And then you go to somebody, go to somebody else. So they see you. <laughs> it's but a I fight. Think, well, and I think one of the reasons why I really like this message and I hate to hear it, I hate to hear any of these things, but is that you do it in a diplomatic way and you let them know right off the bat, Hey, listen, I know what's going on and we're going to make this a positive situation. You know what I mean? Like instead yes. of, yes, I've always said we can get a lot more accomplished in the advocacy world if we work together. And if we have these conversations instead of in your face all the time, it's like, I know what's up, you know, what's up. So I want to make sure that I get the best care. That's it. And that, that's the frustrating thing that I've seen in the diabetes groups is that, and, and we discussed this when I, the day that I started the group, I was like, okay, Lord have mercy. It's probably searchable on Facebook. I think it's called Diabetes Society. I forgot the name of the group, but it's an open group. And they had asked the question saying, hey, for uh, African-American diabetics or whatever, have you ever not received care or something like that due to the fact that you're African-American or something? So the question was like that. And there was absolute chaos in the group. It was <laughs> it was tables flipping, hair pulling, 
gnashing of teeth, rendering of clothes, chaos, because a person was asking if they're getting the care that they deserve. And if they were not, tell me more about it. Like, like, tell me, like, basically the question that you're asking me. And there are people in the group like, I don't come here for this. And we all bleed the same same color. color. Yeah, we all bleed the same color. And we're all diabetics. We all got the same pancreas. And there wasn't a space for people to say, hey, I'm not being cared for properly. Can you advocate for me? Can we start something? There was no space for it. And there were there were African-Americans within the group being like, well, actually, I had a person call me the N-word. No, we don't have time for this. Ah! And it was like they couldn't even they couldn't even speak. And Javonda Flint. Hey, girl, Javonda Flint. I saw her comment and she was like, this, this, when I started the group, I went back to that post and I put the link to the group in there to be like, y'all, there's a safe space for us. If you if you want to get out of the fray. And she's like, this is exactly why you started this group. I'm like, this is exactly why I had to start this group, because we just want to have the conversation about what we can. How, what words do I use? Like new, yeah. newly diagnosed people who've never really had an interaction with doctors in this way. How am I heard? What do I do? What do I say? What are those words? How do I how do I do this? when I know that I might not be seen. What, how do I do this? If we can't have that conversation, what are we going to do? And the same thing happens, of course, with you know Black women having the, the, the high mortality rate with Black women when it comes to uh, birthing and things like that. It's not just with type 1 diabetes. It's across the entire spectrum of medical care. But of course, because I'm type 1, that's what's important to me. Also, as a type 1, I, I also have symptomatic C trait. So, which is a sickle cell trait. I don't have disease, but I have the trait and I have the symptom along with not so much similar to the disease, but not at all the disease, but just sometimes aching and challenges with hydration and things like that. And of course, with diabetes, it can be a challenge to hydrate. But when you're adding sickle cell trait, it's just like, seriously. So there's a lot that goes into it. And so I have to get my fructosamine level checked along with my A1C. Those are things that specifically pertain to people of color. So if you if your doctor does not see you and say, oh, you know what? You're of a darker hue. Let me make. do you have sickle cell trait? If you do, let's check your fructosamine because you need to do that as opposed to your A1C or along with because there's a there's a change in your in your in your cellular. You know, if the doctor doesn't know this and they're not going to pay attention, but doctors don't focus on us. They just okay. Don't. Let me ask you this as a person of color. Do yes. when you go to the doctor, do they normally test you for sickle cell? Or is that a common Yes, they they should like when you're a baby. So back in the day, I don't even know how they do this now, but like, you know how they would do testing before you have a baby? Mm -hmm. I'm a child of the 80s. And so they would kind of test the parents to see genetically what you had going on. Right. And it's best to do. So, you know, the chances of your child having the disease, because if one parent has a trait and the other parent has a trait, then it's a high chance the child having the disease. So my father has the trait. My mother does not. I don't have the disease. But if my siblings who've had children, if they're with someone who has the trait and one of my siblings has the trait, then the child can have the disease. And so it's something that is tested before you give birth, but oftentimes it can be tested also when they, when the baby is born to make sure that they don't have something going on. This is something that happens. But even if you don't know if you have the trait or not, it's something that as a endocrinologist, a thorough endocrinologist, if you know that you're checking the A1C to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do, why would you not? You know what I'm saying? It's just stuff Mm -hmm. like that, but that might not be their focus because we're not the focus. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like so in in the group i'm saying hey guys again with hydration summertime we're going to be sweating you're type one and, and you know already hydration is a thing if any of y'all are uh, have the trait make sure that you're hydrating that wouldn't that if i was talking to a nordic group of people that wouldn't really apply and not saying that they don't also have the trait because it's you know but people around the equators they call this an equator thing so that's that's the kind of thing that needs to be said in doctor doctor's appointments and doctor's offices that's not happening and that's a concern of mine. 
Okay. I'm going to ask you for some homework and I'm saying this out loud. So the listeners will look forward to it, but maybe you come up with a list of a a few questions or comments that is a a person of color or a black person. However, we want to articulate that respectfully Uh is what do you need to say going into that situation to make sure that you are getting the proper treatment? Because we all have to be advocates for own healthcare and make your life easier saying, here's exactly what I'm asking and what I need so that you get the best treatment. Would Uh would Would you do that for me? I'm going to try to do that for you. I'm going to pick through my brain because I feel like not that I know everything, but I'm thinking, what wouldn't I know if I was this age and I was really diagnosed? And I didn't know. You know what I mean? So like even in our group, we're talking about a huge part of, of black culture, of course, is food and things. This is what we right. do. And so going into the holiday season, how do you have a carb conscious meal that it's still so full esque? There's my pump. So it's still so still so food esque. Like, how do you do that? How do we how do we count the cars or how do we accommodate what we do within our community? We, you know, of course, most people who go to college, they, you know, or any school, you do homecoming and it's a big deal. But within the black community, homecoming is like, is it's huge. And even more so if you attended an HBCU. So it's a huge thing. So it's like, okay, where do you put your pump or what do you, in your outfit? Like things like that, because this is a thing you plan year round for this type of thing. I was talking to this one one young lady and she is within a Greek organization and she was going to have a, a step show. And she was like, what do I do with my pump? And how do I, what do I do? But that's something that's specifically within, so, so much specifically within the African-American community that it wouldn't make sense to have that be a post in a large diabetes group to say, hey, I'm going to my homecoming. I have to be in a step show. How far before my step show should I check my blood? People are going to be like, what's a step show? Well, I was like, thinking what's a step show until you said it a second time. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, like but it's, it's performance. Like, it's performance. It's a performance. And so yeah. if you're going to rigorously perform, then how do I, how do I do this? But this, you know, specifically your outfit has to match everybody else's outfit. You're going to yeah. compete. It's a whole thing that goes into it. So I'm like, okay, girl, send me your outfit and let me see where you can, where you can put your pump or, you know, that. are you going to wear boots? Okay. Put it in the back of your boot. You know, you can wear your pump or your calf. You know, that's a conversation that we would have within the community. So that type of thing, it makes living through this journey easier when there's some level of access to an answer to some of the things that seem as if it only pertains to you when it doesn't. It pertains to a lot of people. But that's, this is not what's going to be said in the masses when it comes to type one, because we're not even seen. You don't see a me in the advertisement for the most part, you know, for type one diabetes. And so, you know, what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's we have to find each other in order to support each other, in order to educate each other and how to do this the healthiest way possible. Okay, let me just ask you this because I think that with companies being a little bit more conscious of diverse advertising efforts, when you say you're not going to see me and I wish I'm going to snapshot this little pic that she just did, but do you feel like you're seeing a more culturally diverse group of people living with diabetes? Do I feel like I'm being more... I'm you're being represented, I'm, yeah. I would say that, you know what? There's a lady in our group that said that she went toe to toe with one of the organizations. I don't know if it was JDRF. I'm not sure which group it was, but she was like, y'all not doing enough. And she like, was like, you got to do better. And so people are noticing that we are not seen and there is a movement to be more seen. And I think, thank God for social media, people are out there that you see more than you would have naturally. Cause really we're depending on the little pamphlets you might get in the mail or when you're sitting in the waiting room, you know, you see the old guy and he's the diabetes guy and you know, whatever, or you see Wilfred Brimley, Lord bless yeah. him. Diabetes. Yeah. Diabetes, my boo. I love that man. He's going to talk about his Quaker Oats, right? So, <laughs> and so you see him and you don't see us. And I think that people were just like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not seeing myself. So I do see, I do see there's an increase, but not, 
it's almost like the quirky best friend without a without a backstory. You know what I mean? It's not we're not we're not being censored as a part of the community. And this even more so happens. Uh, I mean, outside of even the black community. But I, I have a friend who she's a uh, she's Mexican, and she one of the biggest issues she had was she's like we eat very carby food. Yeah. And so she's like rice and beans is the staple. I'm like I'm West African. Rice is our staple. So there's a way to do this to make it okay. But since nobody's saying this to you, feel like I don't know what to do. I've got a friend and she's, she's type two, but she was diagnosed and she called me hysterical. We're in college. And she just called me and she's like, and then she had, she just got diagnosed. I didn't know anything, but she just called me. And she's like, I can't eat rice. I can't eat rice. And she's screaming that she can't eat rice. And I'm like, what happened? Like, are you choking? Something happened? Who was right? What is happening? I know what's going on. And she's just sobbing that she can't eat rice. And she's Jamaican. And I'm like, I get it. So I'm like, but, you know, after she told me that she went to the doctor and said she's type two, I'm like, I understand. I was like, you can literally eat everything. You have to just do things in a certain kind of way to make it work for you. But again, I mean, it's the culture. The culture is what drives the person. And and so you have to find a way to balance the culture and the joys of that culture with the with the diagnosis. And it's something that happens within with, with everyone, but so much within certain populations that aren't being being spoken to and being assisted and helped. Well, and two, I'm going to say two last questions. One, you've already addressed, but I'm going to say it out loud so that the listeners know that this is being addressed is, do you feel like you received proper diabetes education upon your diagnosis and through the 33 years in which you've lived with it? As I, I would say that if you didn't as an advocate, you did it for yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're uh, always curious and furthering that. Yes, I don't. And I'm, I'm going to say this and not even trying to sound morbid, but I have friends who have passed from type one who didn't have what I had. Yeah. Like they didn't have I, all the pieces came together to make it work for me. But now it's so much easier to get these pieces because the world is how it is yeah. that it's easier now. Like we had to like stevia now is a, is a common thing, yeah. right? Stevia is a sweetener and it's like everywhere now. But going back to my mom, stevia was like illegal before. Yeah. Right. And we had she had to like go into like the deep recesses of like the forest to find like a one eyed woman with a cane to give her <laughs> this plant, which was illegal. <laughs> so just so I can have the the sensation of sweetness in a, in a beverage. Right. So if she's going through all of this to get an illegal plant, which is just now commonly purchased on the shelves in your local grocery store. Right. Now it's so much easier to take care of yourself. We have it here. We just have to make the connection with other people. So to answer the question, did I receive the care? I demanded it, but I was also in a place where they offered it. And when I was no longer in a place where it was offered so and it was so readily available, I demanded it wherever I went. But it wasn't something that was there. I've gone to doctors that were talking about the diabetes exchange or they were looking at me saying that I was making things up and they were being dismissive or they were saying, oh, your A1C is this. You're going to die. You know, you have these like crazy things that they say and they do. And I'm sitting there like, this isn't really helpful. You know, like I'm, I'm fine. But like if a type one comes up in here and you're telling them that they've come down from, let's say, a 14 A1C and they're down to an 11 and you're telling them they're going to die unless they do more. Is that really going to help? I'm sitting there with these doctors and they're looking at me like, why is the 11 year old telling me what I, you know, but it's like, no, I'm telling you, you're going to kill somebody. They're going to feel like they're, they're, you're going to def- you're going to make them feel defeated. We're not doing this. No, 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 no. You know, so it's like, so I, it's a combination of did I receive good care? Not consistently, but I, I demanded it for myself because I was taught to do so. So are there good endocrinologists out there? Yes. Are there sucky endocrinologists out there? It, most definitely. I currently see Anna Smarney. She is awesome. I got to give her a shout out. She is fantastic. Before I went to see her, I went to a terrible endocrinologist. 
he was absolutely deplorable and like comically so, but sad because I can laugh, but that would have been terrible for someone who didn't know any better. But yeah. terrible. And he was telling me I was actually going in there trying to get the pod. I was or, or some type of device. I'm like, hey, I want to get a medical device. He was like, oh, you got to check your blood a million times and you got to do this. You got to prove that you need to earn it. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. And I'm like, what? And then earn I, it. I have diabetes. I want the fucking I really have the pancreas of yeah. a person who would need this specific device. Like I've done the, it's done the work or lack thereof. Like I'm, I'm come on now. And he was like, rah, 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 and then walks out. He knew he was new to me. He had no medical history. He knew nothing about me outside of I'm asking for this medical device. And I'm like, and I'm insured again, I have access to getting it if I want it, but he's telling me that I have to jump through these hoops, which can be difficult for a person if you don't know the person. And I'm just like, this is insane. So we left. I went back to my primary care physician. I said, do you have an endocrinologist that doesn't suck up your sleeve? And he was like, actually I do. And he suggested I go to Dr. Marnie and I went to her and she's like, Hey, what can I do for you? I'm like, well, you know, it's our first time meetings. We're talking, 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 high five, high five. And then she's like, so what, what, what can make this whole thing easier? What is it that you would dislike? What would you like? I said, like, actually, I'm here to get a CGM and a pump possibly. She's like, oh, what color do you want? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, what color? They come in different colors. They come in this, they come in that. She's just talking, talking, talking. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean? She's like, what, I'm, what color do you want? Blue. Okay, great. And I had it. it that was it. And I'm like, oh, every- she knew what you were talking about. And it was she, like literally just the weird details. She just wanted to know what color CGM I wanted. And I had wow. a next, the little, the little, the little thing. I had a little blue one and I have a blue one, but she asked me what color I wanted as opposed to you have to go through blood, sweat, tears and carve about half of your pancreas and serve it to the gods. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> anything that deep. She was just like, what makes it easier for you? Hey, is that what you want? Awesome. Let me go put the order in. What else do you need? It wasn't even deep. You know, this, this is possible. This can happen. We can, we can have people that really want us to live a full life. And I will also say, I will say this, that the most important thing that any endocrinologist can do is to find out what the person is willing to do. Yeah. If the person is like, I can only check my blood twice a day. I can't do it anymore. Then she say, okay, check your blood before you eat each time you, if you eat twice a day, check your blood before you eat. As opposed to being like, if you don't check eight times a day, you're going to die. And that's what they say. They do the oh, whole yeah. air tactic of you're going to lose your feet or your or your eyeballs going to fall out your head or you're going to drop dead. They don't find out where you are because once you feel like, oh, I can do twice a day. That was easy. Maybe I can do more. Find out where they are. Just find out where they so, are. Yeah. It's such a, and it's such a like a no brainer like comment, think. right? You would, you would think. You would think. So last question, because we need to wrap up, even yes, though sorry. I think like, no, don't be sorry. We could talk for two days and we, I will definitely bring you on as a regular guest. The last question, and again, one of those that I ask all guests in the past year is, do you feel like you have access to healthy food within a three to five mile radius? Healthy food being fresh fruit, fruits and vegetables. Yes, but I would also say that I'm an anomaly. I would say that it's, it's unusual, but I would say yes. No parts of my life are the typical experiences of type ones. And so I can only speak for myself as an individual. And yes, I do have access to those things, but that is not the case for the majority of people that I know. And, and with my past guests in Nashville in particular, there's even like a website that talks about food deserts. Like, oh, it's real. Food it's deserts real. are so real. Because uh, I'm originally from North Nashville and I'm, look, I'm thinking of our house where it's located, our old house. And yeah, no, that it's not, it's not a possibility there. Like, and, and I, let me tell you how real it is. There is a, I'm not going to use the, the, the grocery store name, but this particular grocery store was closest to my school, my college at the time. And I went in there and all the food, all the, the fruits and vegetables were rotten. Mm-hmm. And I'm the queen of a banana. I'm going to keep a banana on me at all times. 
And I went in there and I was just like, this is ridiculous. And I got like the produce guy. And I'm like, what is this? He's like, this is what they bring me. And I'm like, but why is it like this on this side of town? But again, this is an African-American side of town. So when I went to the other side of town, same store, same chain, fruits, shiny, not rotten. Everything was great. Wow. It, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's a reflection of so many things. And if you're telling me I need to eat more fruits and vegetables, I need to eat more fibrous things. And I go in there like, okay, my doctor said I got to do this. And I go in there and all the food is rotten. Then I can't even take care of myself. You're being set up for failure. Set up for failure. It's what it is. And, I, and, and I, I have a car to drive to a better store, but not everybody can do that. You know what I'm saying? Well, and so, I think at the same time, when you're talking about the fact when you're given a sentence and you're like, okay, if you don't do this, this, and this, you're going to die. And then you walk into the grocery store thinking you're going to do the best that you can with the money that you have and you don't have access to it. Yes. Yes. That's so it. Then you, then you're going to shame yourself. You're going to feel like a failure. And then, and then, and then while you're standing in the middle of this produce section, that smells like feet. Then you have to walk over to the pharmacy and pick up your insulin, which is a billion dollars. So it's like you have to choose between feet groceries or a billion dollar insulin, but either, or the doctor said, you're going to die. So what's the point of doing any of it? That is what people are dealing with. And I'm just like, it just breaks my heart. That wasn't my story. You know what I mean? I I mean, that was not, that wasn't my experience. And, but I know that being an experience because I was raised around people to a certain extent that had to deal with other health disparities and issues. Their, their food intake was a reflection of what was going on in their bodies. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not just like, but it's frustrating to me. And I, and and I'm loving this podcast because we're going to be able to like get it out there and tell people that this is not just a because if everybody's pushing, of course, the insulin thing and saying the insulin is so expensive and it's just yeah. terrible, it is the food, it's the groceries, it's the transportation to the doctor's appointment. It's people saying that they live two hours away from an endocrinologist. Yep. And when you get to the endocrinologist, they tell you you're going to die. Or, or your primary care physician feels like, oh, I can take care of everything. I'm fine. No, they need to go to a specialist. Mm. You know, and a lot of times they just go to the main part, the, to their to their PCP. GP, yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, they need to know on a deeper level what's going on with you. And so it's it's a lot. And I want to make this known that it's a lot for all type ones, but specifically and even more so for African-American and immigrant type one diabetics. Well, and I hate, hate, hate to hear any of this, but I'm so happy to connect with you to share that story so that as all of us as advocates, we can partner together. Yes. yes, No matter what the skin color in order to make a change in diabetes care long-term for all people. So pancreases unite. (laughs) (laughs) All of our pancreases bleed the same color. I don't know. (laughs) Or don't function in the same way. That's it. All our pancreases lack the same hormone guys. That's it. Well, AC, I really appreciate you taking time and I'm so thankful to have um, met you. I feel like there are people in my life that I call soulmates and stuff like that. And you're definitely one of those people that have the energy that I just knew when we first talked, I was like, nah, she's going to be a friend for life. And yes, I mean I'm that. harass you for as long as you breathe. <laughs> and thank you for allowing me to do something. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Well, listen, have a great rest of the day. And thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Amber. Bye. All right. Talk to you soon. Well, you have to admit this was an entertaining episode to say the least, and my mom is going to be so upset. But anywho, I loved hearing how Nurse Rose and AC's mother empowered her to own her diabetes and all that comes with it. This is one of many conversations I will have with AC because we have so much more to cover and I totally dig her energy. Before I wrap up, I have a few quick reminders. Number one, With the whole new year, new you mantra, many of you will be hitting the gym and good on you for that. But be sure to stock up on Ultima Replenisher, a balanced electrolyte drink that provides highly effective hydration with no junk, sugar, calories, or carbs. Head on over to my affiliate page for a discount code. Number two, 
Don't forget to visit my resources and affiliate page for killer discounts. If you'd like to join this list of reputable brands, just hit us up at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com for details. Number three, I know you're listening and thank you. So be kind and throw a little change my way. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. All you have to do is click on the donate link in the show notes. And finally, I'm here for my diet peeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. <laughs>